Well, it is a, it's always a joy, a pleasure to, to gather together here on Sundays. The reason we like to do that is it's a reminder. We like to come together and be reminded of the truths about God, uh, to find encouragement, to sing together, uh, and to experience this time together. And it's, we believe that it's really important for the church to gather for a, week, a regular rhythm of being encouraged. But we believe that the church goes beyond that. It's not just the gathering, but it's also we gather to be encouraged and strengthened so that we can scatter and live our lives on mission and what God has called us to and where he places us. And so it's kind of this holy, sacred rhythm of gathering and scattering. And we are uh, in a series through the book of Philippians, which is a, a letter in the Bible that's written by a guy named Paul to a church in a city called Philippi, and it was to a church that understood this rhythm. We find uh, that they would gather for prayer, that they gathered to study scripture, but we also learn that they found joy in scattering, and as Paul wrote, participating in the good news or in the gospel of sharing in what God is doing and the mission that God had for them. So they understood the rhythm of gathering and scattering. And so when we gather on Sundays, that's really one of the reasons that we do this. And one of the reasons we're studying through the book of Philippians is to be reminded of the value of each of these things. And so today we're going to continue in that series. And we are in a verse or chapter one today, we'll find ourselves. Now the, the point where we find ourselves today is Paul has been writing to the Philippians and he started off by writing to him and saying and encouraging them by saying, hey, the work that God begins in your life, that he will be faithful to complete it. And so there was an encouragement that he gave to say, when God begins a work in you, he's not going to give up on you. And, and that is encouraging for all of us, I hope, in this place. I know uh, I was talking with someone the other week who said, I just feel like I don't want to let God down with the way I live. And my words of encouragement were, you don't have to worry about that because God's not going to let you down. If he has begun a good work in you, he will be faithful to carry it out to completion in Christ Jesus. And the good news is, he doesn't rely on you to be good enough to stay in his good graces anyway, because none of us can make, measure up at that point. And so Paul begins by encouraging the church and saying, hey, he's begun a work in you, he's going to carry it out. And then he went on and talked to the next week, a prayer for them was that they may understand God's unconditional love. That they may not just know it in their head, but embrace it, to understand it, to live it out, and to let that affect the way they interact with others. Last week, as Matt taught, we got to the next point in the book of Philippians, where Paul was talking about the fact that he was in prison for his faith, but because of the circumstances in his life, he was able to continue to make the good news of Jesus known to others. And Matt used this terminology called the commander's intent. It was no plan can survive contact with the enemy. So you want to have, Paul said, what is the one thing I want to have happen here is I want the gospel, the good news of Jesus to be made known. And so whether I'm in prison or people are kind of attacking me for false reasons or whatever, it doesn't matter as long as ultimately the biggest thing, the commander's intent was that the good news of Jesus was made known to others. So that's kind of the pattern that we've been on or the path we've been on. And today now, we're going to find Paul's motivation for all of this. Paul's attitude that is, allows him to stay focused on the one thing. Uh, this weekend, my son, nine-year-old son, decided he wanted to remodel his room, he told me. 
He wanted to change. And I was like, what does that even mean? And he said, well, I just want to change the theme in my room. So, so he said, here's what we're going to do, Dad. I'm going to take everything out of my room except for the furniture. And when a nine-year-old takes everything out of his room, that is, it's amazing. It's kind of like the fish in the loaves. It comes out of the door and it multiplies. So he took everything out of his room and he put it in the hallway and you couldn't even, wa- I was like, where has all this stuff been? And he said, it's just stuff I collect. And, and, and so it, it was just tons of stuff. And so then I got to spend yesterday helping him sort through all this and to determine what was keepable and what wasn't. And when he wasn't looking, I would, you know, <laughs> had other decisions. But so... But what he wanted to do is he wanted to make his room, he said, I'm going to make a dinosaur-themed room. It's going to be all about dinosaurs. It's, it's what I'm into right now. And so his room now is all about dinosaurs, the bed sheets and everything. And, and then I got to thinking of when I was young, you could tell what I was into based on my room. You could go in there and see the posters. I had basketball posters and baseball players. And, and, and so you knew, okay, this is just a typical you know, elementary school kid into sports. And then my one thing as I got older, I went through a phase where I was, I had all the pictures and, uh, and posters of the bands I listened to and the music I was into, which when you're into 80s music, that's just terrible to have on your wall. I can't believe it, how all those musicians looked in the 80s, but that was, you know, you could tell. And then I got into a phase where I was into snow skiing and I used to race competitively and, and skateboarding. And so, but my wall would always tell you the thing I was into and it was always what clearly defined who I was. Now today we're going to look at Paul's one thing that defined him. And I, I don't think that he would have to take the posters down in his room because it didn't change who he was as a personality, but it meant that that one thing was what affected how he interacted as someone who was into skateboarding or snowboarding or music or whatever it is. And so today we want to find encouragement as a church to have our lives defined by one thing and one thing that matters. So we're going to find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1. I invite you to turn there. It's in your Bibles kind of near the end. If you're new to Scripture, it's kind of near the end of the Bible. You're always welcome to use your phone or or tablet if you prefer to use the Bible there. If you want a hard copy, we have some on tables in the back of the room. And if you do not have your own Bible, you are welcome to take that. It is our gift to you. We're in Philippians chapter 1 going to read just three verses today, starting in verse 19. Really, it's the end of 18. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we're going to stop right there for now. Join me as we pray before we unpack these verses. God, we thank you again for this time. I thank you for the encouragement that we find in Scripture. I thank you for the encouragement of gathering together so that we may have the fuel to scatter and to represent your name well. I pray now that these words would be yours and you would speak through me for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul begins this section, and he starts off and says, yes, I will rejoice. Now, this was based on last week. He said, hey, no matter what happens in in all these difficult situations, I will rejoice if the good news of Jesus is made known. 
So he says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that all of this, the things happening in my life, will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, this is kind of some interesting language, this word deliverance. I don't even know if it's as effective as a word, because I don't believe here Paul is saying that this is going to deliver me or set me free from this circumstance based on how he writes the rest of this chapter. He, he doesn't seem to think for sure he's going to be rescued from his chains, but this is actually the word, the same word we use for salvation. And so Paul is in a way saying, I know that all of this will work out for my salvation through your prayers and through the Holy Spirit. And so a couple questions that come up is, that we need to address is, first of all, this is not salvation in the sense of if Paul does these things, then he's saved. Because we believe, and Paul is very clear through his other writings, that we are saved by the grace of God. It happens once. He rescues us from the dominion of darkness, transfers us into God's kingdom, and that happens instantly because of what Christ does for us. But Paul often uses this term salvation to be the journey of faith. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we'll look at it in a few weeks, but Paul says, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this terminology here in verse 19, when Paul is saying, this will turn out for my deliverance, is Along the same lines as, as I'm living out my life of faith, I know that this is part of my story. This is part of my salvation story. And in Paul's mind, it is God at work in him and through him for the whole duration. So he says, I know that these circumstances are part of God's work in me. It's what he's doing in my life. I'm convinced, I'm confident of this truth. And I know that it will work out the way God wants it to work out. But I want you to see now, why does he have such confidence? And he starts off, he says, through your prayers, first of all. Let's not overlook that too quickly because it's very important that Paul here is saying, through your prayers, it gives me confidence to know that God will continue to work and, and he is working out his plan. It's not Paul saying, through my strength. It's not Paul saying, because I have all the answers and I've, I've got this. Because I, he's saying, because I know you're lifting me up and placing me before God. One of the great things for me as a, a leader in the church is when I know that there's people out there who pray for me. Uh, there's someone who he attends in first service and every week, he, or most weeks, he emails me and his email is very short. It says, how can I pray for you this week? I love that email because it reminds me that he is walking with me and saying, I want to present you before God. And your leaders in this church, the elders and the staff and the ministry leaders, we, we covet your prayers. And it's not because we believe that leadership in the church is that we are above everyone else. It's not that I have a direct line to God in my office. It's we believe that leadership, the burden of responsibility of leadership has been given to us and we serve alongside you as more of a bottom-up, not a top-down leadership. But what I love about prayer is that it's not you saying, Ryan, you better perform. You better not have a sermon that's terrible. <laughs> 
You better not ever make a decision that I don't agree with. What you're saying is, we're going to pray for you that God will give you wisdom. We're going to pray that God would protect you and your family and walk with you. We're going to put you in God's hands, knowing that you're weak on your own. And so as a church, we want to be a church that's praying. If you have kids in the youth ministry and kids ministry, would you pray for the teachers? Would you pray for our leadership there? Pray for your life group leader as they have the burden and the responsibility to care for you. Pray for one another. Paul says, I know these things are going to work out. I'm confident because I know that you have prayers that are being lifted up on my behalf. Let's be a church who's praying for one another. The second thing that he says is, I also know this is going to work out through the provision of the Holy Spirit. Some translations may say help. It's probably a better word here. Through the help of the Holy Spirit. We do not want to do the things that God's calling us to do in our own power or in our own strength and wisdom. When I was early on in ministry, I was at a conference with church leaders. And there was a speaker from overseas, and he was a part of a church movement where thousands of people were becoming Christians, and they were seeing amazing things happen in very hostile environment. And he came, and he was teaching to these American pastors for the most part, and he said, I am amazed at how much the American church can accomplish without the help of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Little convicting. <laughs> and what he was referring to was the fact that you're very good at planning things. You're very good at programs. You have great teachers and great music and youth ministry. You do these amazing things, so much so that you forget to rely on God. And it was very convicting from an early on that it, it caused me to say, I don't want my ministry to ever be resting in my wisdom because, as my wife will tell you, that falls short. <laughs> and so Paul says, it's important that I'm living also. This will work out by the help of the Holy Spirit, not in my strength. And as a church, we want, I, I often use this phrase, and I share it with our leaders, of, we want to pray as if we didn't prepare but we want to prepare as if we didn't pray. And so I believe there's some personal responsibility to, to present what we do as a church with excellence as much as we can, but we don't want to forget the side that in the end of it, we want to say, God, it's got to be about you and your spirit. Otherwise, we're building our kingdom, and I'm not interested. And, and so Paul says, I'm convinced that this is going to work out because of your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit, it's not about me. So then Paul moves on. So we learned about his confidence. And now we learn as he continues on, what is the thing that gives him confidence? What is the one thing that's fueling all of his attitudes? It's here in verse 20. Paul says, I know that through the, uh, the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, it's, it's, this is going to lead to my salvation according to the earnest expectation and hope. And this is actually a really cool Greek word. I don't always like to get into the Greek, but it actually literally means to stretch out your neck to see something that's going to happen. And, and so it's a picture of a kid in a crowd stretching out his or her neck to see what's coming. And Paul says, I'm stretching out my neck. I'm so excited to see what God is going to do here and what I expect to see when I stretch out my neck is that in no way will I be put to shame, but with all boldness, this is the point, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. 
So what Paul is stretching out his neck to see, what he hopes to see is that his life is going to exalt the name of Jesus. Now, that word exalt is kind of a church word. I don't think we use it very often outside of the scripture. And this word is actually means to make something great. Megaluno. To make something great. So Paul is actually saying, I want my life or my death, the way I live and, and everything about me, to make the name of Jesus great. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, Jesus actually doesn't need you to make his name great. That's good news. <laughs> his name's already great. The name of, there is no other name above the name of Jesus. There's no other name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess other than Jesus Christ. His name is great without you. Make no mistake. But Paul is saying, I want my life to reflect the greatness of who Jesus is. When people interact with me, when they see how I respond in circumstances, when they get to know me, when they, when they know more about my heart, what it will do is point them to the greatness of who Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but it's difficult to live my life always thinking that I want it to be about Jesus. Because I kind of get in the way a lot. <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were, I, I often talk about the fact that I coach baseball, and, and one of my prayers is just always that, God, whichever students and kids you give to me and any families that I interact with, just help me to represent you well. Let me make your name great in the way I coach. And, and like 80, 70% of the time, I do it. And, and, and so... The other part, I just want to show them the human side of life. But <laughs> a few weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago actually now, we were, we we're in the playoffs and it was a, a, an elimination game and my 14-year-old son was playing in a game and, and we were the home team and so in baseball we had the last time to bat and we were losing by two runs in the final inning. And we got two runners on base, but we had two outs. And so that team was playing, and the batter came up, and, and it went to a count of three balls and two strikes, down by two in the last inning with two outs. It was, this is it for us. And the batter fouled off the ball three different times. He kept fouling it off, and, and it was an intense moment. If we lose, we're done. And did I fail to mention the batter was my son? <laughs> So I'm there on the base coach seeing my son, and the only big deal, if he, if he got out, it was just his whole little league career and everyone else was over because they're 14. And so no pressure. But he's there battling, and I, and I realized after like eight pitches, like, you know, I'm going to say a prayer for my son. And my prayer was simply, God, just calm his nerves and just let him have a good time. Now, meanwhile, I find later what's happening in the stands, one of the team parents looked over at my wife. She stood up and said, Sarah, it's time to pray. <laughs> and she said, you pray right now, and if your son comes through for us, we're all coming to church. <laughs> Sarah told me what she was praying. See, I was praying, God, just you know, calm his nerves. Sarah was praying, oh, Lord Jesus, please help my son not screw up. <laughs> Help him get on base, and if the next boy screws up, that's fine. <laughs> because his mama can handle it, but this one cannot. <laughs> that was her prayer. 
So, the, uh, and it is a, a happy ending. He actually hit a triple down the line, crushed it. And uh, yeah, you know, the prayers of a faithful person, right? <laughs> so it, it ended up, he actually won the game on his hit. And, and uh, the team has not shown up at church yet, but they do owe us. <laughs> But our prayers in that moment weren't, Jesus, make your name great. Whatever circumstance, we want you to be made known through this. Our prayers were, oh Lord, <laughs> help my son have a good day. I don't want to go home with him in the car if he got the last out. I'm okay with he wins. <laughs> it wasn't a selfless prayer. It was a very normal prayer. I'm sure most of the parents in this room have prayed that prayer. So it's sometimes hard to think every moment, Lord, can this be about you? And he's not asking us to be so spiritual that we, in that moment, my wife to stand up and say, it's okay, brethren. <laughs> as long as Jesus' name is made great, that's all that matters. No, she's saying, let him hit the ball. <laughs> but how do we get to the point where our lives, if he doesn't hit it, okay if he does hit it it's okay because we want our reaction in every situation to make Jesus's name great and so Paul says I stretch out my neck in prayer because I can't wait to see Jesus's name made great through my life and through my death and then he continues on in verse 21 he says because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is not a good structure English sentence here, right? To live is Christ. What does that mean? What he's really saying is as long as I'm alive, I want my life to be about Christ. I want the motives, my purpose in life. I want the source of my strength. I want it all to be found in Jesus. I don't want it to rest on my shoulders. And then he goes on and says, and if I die, that's better for me. He's in chains, He's in a bad situation. He says, I would rather not be here and be, and be in heaven, but as long as I'm here, I want it to be about Christ. Because for Paul, he, he understood that the one thing in his life was to see Jesus' name made great. Now, how do we make the one thing the one thing? I, if you want to turn with me back to Acts chapter 16, it's just a few pages back towards the middle of your Bible. And there's a story here, and this is something happening to Paul. And he's in Philippi for the first time. And he just spoke to some people. They were becoming Christians, and the movement of God was really growing there in Philippi. And through some circumstances, he was falsely accused. And now he's been arrested for his faith. And in verse 22 of Acts 16, it says this, the crowd rose up together against Paul and Silas. Silas was the guy traveling with him. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. So here's Paul's, this is what he gets for being faithful to God. This is the response that he has from saying, I want my life to be about Jesus, is he's arrested. And he's beaten with rods. It's, it's like these sticks, 
kind of like caning that you, you hear about sometimes. So they beat him with rods, and then they arrest him, and they put him in prison, and they put him in the inner jail cell of the prison, and then they fasten his feet with stocks so he can't move. Thank you, Jesus, for rewarding me for my faithfulness. This is what I would call a difficult circumstance. This is something that I hope I never face, and many of us will never face because of our faith. But Paul faces this circumstance. How does he keep the one thing, the one thing, in a circumstance like this? Many of us would probably say, God, seriously, are you not watching? I've been faithful to you, and um, I don't know if you noticed, but I just got beat, and I just got arrested, and now I'm in stocks. God, I don't know about you, but um, I've been faithful to you, and my family's kind of struggling right now. Are you not watching? God, I don't know about you, but I've been faithful with my finances and, and you, haven't, you haven't poured out your blessing on me. Are you, are you not paying attention? God, do you not notice my circumstances? That's what we would normally say. Look at verse 15, uh, 25 of Acts 16. They just got arrested, thrown in an inner prison. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This is a guy who understands one thing, and this is how I think he gets the one thing is the one thing. It's because for Paul, it wasn't about the circumstances. It wasn't about what was happening to him. It was about his response. See, later in the book of Philippians, we'll find that Paul writes, I've learned the secret to being content in every situation, having plenty and not having anything. I've learned the secret. It's not found in the circumstances. And so if we are trying to keep Jesus the one thing in our lives and it's based on our circumstances, we're going to have a difficult time. It's based on our response to the circumstances. You see, Paul and Silas were able to praise God because they said it's not about being in prison right now. Somehow our lives, we wanted to make Jesus' name great. And so we're going to praise him and trust him. Now, there's a couple things I want us to not do. Please do not think this means to trivialize your difficult times. This doesn't mean if you're going through a difficult time in your life that you say like, oh, it's no big deal. If God's in, it's fine. You're battling something really difficult, maybe relationally, maybe a health issue, maybe uh, something at work or financial. That doesn't mean we just say like, God, it doesn't matter, whatever, it's all about Jesus. No, don't trivialize it. Paul never trivialized being in prison. In fact, he writes in 2 Timothy that I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I am wasted by this. I'm so tired. I fought the fight. I just want to finish this race. He didn't say, oh, I don't care, it's no big deal. He would much rather not be in chains. Some of you have gone through some very difficult things. You would much rather not be going through it. But it's our perspective in that. I remember a few months ago when one of our own shared her story, and it was a difficult story of when she lost her son and then later on battled breast cancer. And one phrase she said that stu stood out to me is, God took her misery and turned it into her ministry. And it was taking a difficult situation and not making her say like, well, it doesn't matter, whatever, it's fine, but said, I'm going to walk with you in this difficult time. 
And God used that difficult thing for her ministry. And so when we make Jesus' name great, it's when we don't make it dependent on the circumstances. It's dependent on our response. And we can make his name great. And we do that in the power of the Spirit as he works in and through and around us. As we end our time here today, we, in a moment we're going to go into a time of um, communion. But even before that, we're going to take a song. I want to invite the worship team to make their way up. And we're going to make a song as we end here, our, our prayer to God. And this may be a new song for some of you. Um, but take some time to just reflect on it. And let's make this song our prayer. And what this song really is praying is, God, would you awake our souls? Would you awaken our spirit and draw us into relationship with you? Would you help us, God, and use our lives to, to awaken the city that we live in? To, to bring your name to those that we interact with daily. God, we want to see your spirit moving in and through and around us. And I think of Paul here as he's writing to the Philippians and he's encouraging a group of people and he said, I want you to know that the one thing that matters is Christ and his name being made great. Can that be the challenge that we receive as a church in your family, in your neighborhood, at your work? Maybe you're here and you say, I, hey, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. Well, maybe today God is calling out your name and draw, asking you, would you bow a knee to him? Enter into this friendship with him that he wants with you. Let him walk with you through your circumstances. So as we take a moment here, we're going to have one song that will just respond and say, God, would you just speak to us in this place? Would your spirit just move in here? Because ultimately we want it to be about you. That your name is made great. So let's make this song our prayer here.